All right, if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline or use the Central Church app. Ruth chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Um, this is the fifth week of our series called From Ruin to Redemption. Um, we've been walking through the book of Ruth. How many of you enjoyed this study on Ruth? How many of you like, I've, I've enjoyed it. It's, it's been fun. Um, this is the last week. I don't entirely know um, what next week is going to be. I know your bulletin says that next week we're starting a new series. I'm going to try really hard um, to get it started next week. Um, it is going to be about a guy named Elijah. And so we're going to look at the, the life of a guy named Elijah. It's going to be a really um, cool series, but I'm just not all the way on top of my game right now. So I don't know if it's next week or the week after that. But today we're going to end this series by talking about the grace of God. Because you don't get from ruin to redemption without grace. Like, like that's what gets us from a mess to the miracle, from ruin to redemption, from where we are to where we need to be. It's grace. It's the grace of God. The grace of God really is the catalyst that changed everything in our lives. I'll show you this as we finish up Ruth. Um, quick review before we dive into this last chapter. Um, the story starts out, there's a guy named Elimelech. And he has a wife named Naomi. And there was a famine where they live. They live in a place called Bethlehem. And there was, there, there was no food to be found anywhere. I mean, this is a legit famine. People are dying. It's crazy. They're starving. And, and there's no hope for food at all. And so they left. Elimelech takes his family and they left Bethlehem. And they went to the land of, who remembers? Moab. Now that's a problem. Because Moab was a wicked place. The Bible says the people of Moab were sinning wickedly against the Lord. It was a place full of sexual immorality. It was a bad place. And people from Bethlehem who followed the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, they were told, don't go to Moab. God told them, don't ever go there. And if you do go there, don't mix with the people. He said, you can go anywhere you want. Just do not go to Moab. So they go to Moab. They go completely like as far away from God as you could possibly go. Now, while they're there, Elimelech dies. And Naomi doesn't know what to do. And so she marries her two sons off to Moabite women. That was a sin. Like flat out. No, no way around that. It was sinful. It was wrong, period. And she did it. Then her two sons die. Well, now she's stuck there with two Moabite women that she's not supposed to be with. She's not supposed to be mixing with these people. She's not supposed to be associating with these people. But she's stuck in Moab with them. She hears that God is, is doing something amazing in Bethlehem. And so she goes to her two daughter-in-laws, Orpha and Ruth. And she says, I'm going back to Bethlehem. I don't know what's going to happen, but, but I know that, that the opportunity to be with God is better than, than staying in a land where there is no God. And so they start back, and about halfway along the journey, she turns around to both of her daughters-in-law, and she says, you don't have to go. Like, you don't have to come with me. And Orpha says, all right. And she kisses her, and she goes back to what's familiar. She goes back to what's comfortable. Because going to Bethlehem, going, going, stepping into, into the unknown is hard. And it's difficult. And Orpha doesn't want any part of that. But Ruth says, I'm not, I'm not bailing on you. I'm going to stay with you. The only thing that's going to break this connection is death. Like, I'm with you forever. So they get back to Bethlehem. And re remember, Naomi walks back in and she's mad. And she says, I'm bitter and I'm empty. God has forsaken me. God has left me. God has abandoned me. She goes through all of this stuff. And then in Ruth chapter 2, Ruth goes to work in the field 
of a man named Boaz. And, and she shows up, Boaz is, or Boaz shows up in there, and he's like, hey, who's that girl? Like, I want to get to know her. And so they have like a little date under a tree. It was weird because she wasn't dressed for it. She's all sweaty and her hair's all matted, no makeup, just bad. But Boaz says, hey, I want to get to know her. And he tells all of his boys, leave her alone. Don't touch her. As a matter of fact, I want to bless her, but I don't want her to know that it's me. And so go out ahead of her and just drop handfuls of grain on purpose. And she starts getting blessed and it's just awesome. Then last week we talked about the threshing floor. And we talked about, we don't know what happened on the threshing floor. No one knows. But we talked about the importance of Ruth following through and showing up. Like being obedient in the moment to what God is calling her to do. She just says, I'll do whatever. And we talked about what would our lives be like that if we were just obedient in the moment to the next step God called us to take. If we just said, God, whatever you want, whatever you want, God, I'll do it. Like, I know it's going to be difficult. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be scary. But God, you want me to do it so you'll see me through it. Like, God, I'm in. Whatever. And so if you missed any of those weeks, make sure you go back and, and listen because this has been a fun series and we've learned a lot. But today... I really want to talk to the person that like the best way to describe you is, is you feel like the person that like, like you just can't catch a break. Is, is that anybody here? Like, like the prayer that you prayed most over the past couple of days, maybe the past few weeks, maybe the past months, maybe for a few years, like this is your prayer if you're honest. You, you wouldn't admit this in most settings, but if you were completely honest, the prayer that you pray when you get by yourself is God, are you freaking kidding me? And you say that because you can't seem to catch a break. Like there are people in our church, that's how you feel. Like you can't catch a break. You see other people and and you're like, okay, God, I'm doing the best that I can. I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to church. I tried that 21 days of prayer thing. I'm giving and and you're doing your your best, but you can't seem to get blessed. Then you see other people who do less than you, that are getting blessed. And we can't celebrate that, can we? Because we get mad and we say, God, are you freaking kidding me? Do you know what I'm doing? Did you see what they did last week? I know what they did. I watched their Snapchat. God, do you even have Snapchat? You shouldn't, but you see other people getting blessed, right? And we can't seem to catch a break. And we think, my God, is it, Is it possible that I'm just walking this doomed life and nothing good is ever going to happen? I'm just kind of stuck right here. Well, if that's you, there's good news. You got something in common with Boaz. Now, in this story, Boaz is 80 years old. Dude is 80. And in ancient Israel, the goal for every man was to get married and have a son so you could pass your family legacy on through the son. Boaz is 80. He's 80, and he's never been married, and he has no, no kid. And so, quick question. Do you think, at 80, he's a little frustrated with this family legacy thing? Yes or no? Yeah, he's 80. And here's what's crazy. When Naomi left to go to Moab, when Elimelech took them and, and they left because of the famine, from all indications, from everything that we know, Boaz stayed. Boaz stayed in Bethlehem through the famine with, with no sign of food anywhere. 
with people starving and people dying, he stayed. He stayed during the tough times when Naomi left, worked through the difficult situation. When everybody else was turning their back on God, Boaz stayed strong. He never turned his back on God. He's doing the right thing, and he's 80 years old. He's been faithful for 80 years, yet nothing has happened. He's 80. So the whole thing with Ruth happens. She shows up. He passed out, passed out on the floor, right? You remember the story from last week? He's passed out, drunk, right? That's what passed out means. And she uncovers his feet and says, I want to do what you want to do. What do you want to do? And he says, all right, I'll handle it tomorrow. But stay tonight, right? Just stay tonight. I'm going to handle it tomorrow. There's going to be a redeemer that comes along. And that's where we pick up the story in Ruth chapter 4. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. Isn't it funny that when God has called you to do something, he takes care of the details? Like, isn't that just crazy? Boaz is like, all right, God, I'm going to sit here. And if you really want me to marry Ruth, you give me a sign. I'll just sit here. I'll wait. God, if you really want me to do it, send the Redeemer by. Hi! Like, like that's really how this happened. Just then, the family Redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him. Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town. This is how you did business in those days. Ten leaders. Um, in the Bible, ten is the number of authority. You didn't have lawyers and contracts and all that other stuff. You got ten leaders to sit around the town gate of the city. Said his witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi who came back from Moab? Remember, remember how she abandoned us? Remember she went to Moab? Remember when we all stayed here? We were all starving. We didn't have any food. We fought really, really, really hard to make it through. And, and she was in, remember her? Remember what she, remember Naomi? She's selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Verse 4. I thought I should speak to you about it so you could redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away. Because Ruth is hot. Like she uncovered my feet. It's crazy weird, but then let me know. Let me know right away because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Can you imagine this? Boaz is like, okay, okay, this is, this is going to be awesome. This is going to work. God's finally going to bless me. I'm going to get Ruth. It's going to be amazing. For 80 years, I've been praying, and now it's going to happen. I'm going to pick up some land in the process, but it's going to be absolutely awesome. And then he, he says, okay, hey, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Hey, um, the land is yours if you want it, but you don't really want it, right? And the guy says, yeah, I want it. You know what Boaz's prayer was after that? God, are you freaking kidding me? Are you absolutely kidding me? I have done everything right. I have stayed faithful. I was in the fields when nobody else was in the fields. I stayed when everybody left. God, I'm doing the very best that I can. For 80 years, I've been faithful to you. Can I not catch a flipping break? And he thinks he's on the verge of a breakthrough, and it looks like his breakthrough is going to transition into a breakdown. You ever thought that? Been like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I catch a break? That's where Boaz is at. Let's talk about Boaz for a second. He's 80. Why is he unmarried at 80? 
Because it seems like he's a good guy. From everything that we've seen in the scripture, seems like he's got a great heart, right? Remember in chapter 2 when he shows up? He walks out. He tells all his workers, oh, the Lord be with you. And they say back, the Lord be with you too. Like, like that doesn't happen at your job, does it? Like, what would happen, like, if that happened to your job tomorrow? Like, you walk in, your boss goes, the Lord be with you. You're like, what you smoking last night? That doesn't even happen here at church. If I walked in and told the staff, the Lord be with you, they'd just leave. Like, something's wrong with Ryan today. Right? But, but, but everybody loves him. Everybody thinks he's a great man. Why is he not married? He's rich. Remember when we first meet him, the Bible says Boaz, a wealthy and influential man. He got a ton of money. Why is he not married? Well, if you remember from week number three, Boaz's mom, what was Boaz's mom? What was her occupation? She was a what? She was a prostitute. She lived in the city of Jericho, and she was a prostitute. Not only was she a prostitute, but she was a Canaanite. Boaz's dad, his name is Solomon, he was an Israelite. An Israelite married a Canaanite and had a kid. And so Boaz was considered to be mixed race, biracial, whatever tag label you, you want to put on that. And in that culture, if you married somebody who wasn't pure Jewish, you were considered to be unclean. Your family was considered to be unclean, and your entire family line was considered to be cursed. So nobody wanted to get next to Boaz. Not because, don't, don't miss this, not because of what he had done, but because of what had been done to him. And there's some people in this church, you carry that weight. Because of what happened to you, you feel disqualified from the grace of God. You were molested. You were raped. Business deal went bad. You got divorced. You were abandoned. Something legitimately happened to you. And because of what happened to you, you've let, and, and, and trust me, I, I know a ton about this, but you've let what happened to you define you. And because of that, you think you'll never get a breakthrough. But listen to me. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not always God's denials. Because here's the good news. If you haven't gotten to where you think God wants you to get, and by the way, how many of you know his plans are better than your plans? How many of you know that? And so if you haven't gotten to where you think God wants you to get, you can still get there. God is going to finish what he started. He, he just is. That's a promise in the Bible that God is going to finish what he started. But in this moment right here, Boaz isn't thinking about that. Boaz, you think Boaz is a little bit discouraged right here, yes or no? Yeah. Well, it gets crazy. It's Boaz, he's smart. He plays this card here that I think is cool. Watch this, verse 5. Then Boaz told him, of course your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth the Moabite. I, I, I ain't saying anything about her, but you know, the Moabite, you know, I mean, she, you know, she gross and nasty. And oh, you know what, those Moabite women, you don't want anything. That's what he's saying. Like we've talked about in this series about how we don't want to be labeled and we don't want to be called who we used to be. But right here, he's throwing that up. He's, he's using that. He's, he says, the Ruth the Moabite, that way she can have children. You have babies with her. You have, you have babies with the Moabite? Like, really? We'll carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Guess what? Not only do you get the land, you, you get a wife and a mother-in-law who are from Moab, who've sinned against God and all this stuff. And, and, and then the Redeemer, he's like, oh, 
I know it's all that. I thought I was just getting some land. I, I didn't know. I don't know. I was getting like a ready-made family. He says this, then I can't redeem it. Family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot. This is how amazing God's grace really is. How, how many of you know we all need grace? How many of you know that? We all need grace. How many of you know grace is extremely difficult to give to other people? How many of you know that? We all know that, right? It's difficult to give grace to other people sometimes. I, I know it is. You know it is. You know who else it's difficult to give grace to? You. It's hard for you to give grace to you. It's hard for me to give grace to me. It's easy for me to believe that grace is for you. It's difficult for me to believe that grace is for me. It's hard for many of us to give grace to ourselves. That's why when it comes to Ruth, that God gives her grace, it's amazing. Because she never, ever, ever thought that she could have anything. Because let's, let's walk through it. She's a Moabite. She's born in Moab. Born completely separated from God. She was born into a culture that practiced child sacrifice. She's born into a culture that did not worship or know the God of Israel. She's in a culture full of sexual immorality. That woman has a book of the Bible named after her. Can you imagine God telling Jesus, okay, son, this is going to be your lineage. These are the people that I'm going to use to bring about you into the world. Like, like you would figure all of the people on the list that Jesus came through were perfect people with no problems, right? I mean, it's Jesus, the most perfect person who has ever walked on the face of the earth. No sin. You would think that the people that he came through would have no sin. But when you see the grace that God extends to Ruth, we're reminded that God takes the people that everybody else dismisses and says, I think I can use them. And so if you're here today, and when you look in the mirror, you say, you know, there's really nothing good about me. I've never been anything. I've never done anything good spiritually. I've never accomplished anything significantly. That's just never been me. Here's the good news. You're the kind of person that God can use. See, it's strange as we look at the ministry of Jesus. When, when Jesus was here on earth, when he, was, when he was doing all of his ministry, the thing that made the religious people the most angry wasn't that Jesus was going around kicking people out. It's that he was pulling people in. The same people that the religious community had kicked out, Jesus pulled them in. And so if you're here today and you feel like there's nothing good about your life, there's nothing ever been anything good or significant in your life, good news. If God can use Ruth, God can use you. If God can get Ruth to where she needed to be, God will get you to where you need to be. Amen? Now this next part, this next part is cool. I love how this breaks down. Verse 7. Now in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. I'm glad we don't do business deals like that anymore, aren't you? Like, can I get that Hellcat? I'll take two, like right now. I'm just practically applying scripture right now. I don't know. Maybe it's because I don't have a sandal. I don't, anyway. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal, as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. In other words, they click sandals together or something. And he's like, you take the Moabite. Like, take every, you take root, take, take them all. I don't, I don't want any of it. Verse 9. 
Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, You are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with that, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite. I got the Moabite. I got her. Now, I told you for weeks that Boaz is the Christ figure in this story. And he's saying, hey, nobody else wants the girl. She's nasty. You're saying she's trashy. She's from Moab. There's nothing good about her. I want her. That's the same thing that Jesus says about people. If you feel unwanted by people in the world, there's a God in heaven today raising his hand saying, I'll take you. I'll take you. I'll take your life. I will take you. I will use you for good. When other people try to dismiss you, God says, I will not dismiss you. I will draw you in. That's good news, right? That's the God we serve. I love that. Anybody else? That way, she can have a son. And he's saying, we can have a son. We're going to have, we're going to have a family. Me and Ruth are going to have a baby. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You're all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing at the gate replied, we are witnesses. They're like, woohoo. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Epaphrata and become famous in Bethlehem. Like, that's cool. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. That's a little bit weird to me that they throw that in there. Because they're like, hey, the Lord bless you, and may you be like this, and may everything be great. But then we want something to happen like Tamar and Judah. And and what's happening here is we're getting reminded, because Boaz, remember, he's biracial. Ruth is a foreigner. How can God bring something good out of that. that. That's weird, right? And, and they're like, ah, we don't know. And then they're like, well, maybe, maybe something can happen like Tamar and Judah. Now, most of us don't know that story, especially if you grew up in church. You don't know that story. You know, you know why you don't know that story? Because <laughs> that story is jacked up. Like if you're in kids' church and you got the little flannel graph thing out, you can't play out this story in flannel graph. You can, but you'll get fired. Uh, because <laughs> Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law, and they slept together. That, that, that's messed up. What makes it worse is Tamar dressed up like a prostitute and seduced Judah. They had a kid together. And, and what's happening here is they're showing that even in the worst situation, God can use anything and bring it from ruin to redemption. So verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. See that? Boaz is saying, we're going to have a son. We're going to have a son. We're going to have a son. It's going to be awesome. They have one. I love it. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, now hold up. Why is Naomi back here in the story now? Like this is the book of what? Ruth. And this happened to who? Ruth. And now here's Naomi. What is she? Like, like Naomi has done nothing but mess up this entire story. She's the one who walked away from Bethlehem. She's the one who sinned in Moab by marrying her sons off to Moabite women. And, and when she comes back into, the, in, into Bethlehem, everyone's trying to be nice to her. And she's like, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I'm mad. I'm bitter. I'm angry. The Lord has forsaken. Like, she's that woman. Why is she about to get praised and not Ruth? Well, this story starts out with Naomi walking away from God. And the story ends with Naomi. Watch this. 
Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. And he was. Right? So that's good. Say something good. Bless Naomi. Now let's switch back to Ruth, right? Nope. May he restore your youth. What? Restore? Like, you sinned. Your life is a mess. You have absolutely nothing. You would have nothing unless Ruth was bringing you back handfuls of blessing that she's getting on purpose. Why restore Naomi to her Ruth or to her to her youth? May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. All right, cool. Now let's get back to Ruth. Mm-mm. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast. And she cared for him as if he were her own. But he's not. Naomi, give the baby back to Ruth. You had your chance. You blew it. You had sons, Malon and Kilion. Like, you didn't even like them. Like, their names meant sick and dying. Like, like you weren't even a good mom. You married them off to Moabite. Like, like what, do you, what do you, no. Don't miss this. Naomi gets a second chance. Naomi gets a second chance. And for those of you looking for a second chance, second chance does not mean second class. Because her second chance was actually immeasurably more than she could ever ask or imagine. At the beginning of the story, she's walking away from God. At the end of the story, she's holding one of the descendants that would eventually bring about the Messiah. That's immeasurably more, yes or no? That's good stuff right there. Well, maybe it'll end by talking about Ruth, verse 17. The neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again. No, no, she doesn't. It's Ruth who has a son. But they're talking about Naomi. Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the grandfather of David. You know, the guy who killed Goliath, who went on to be king of Israel, brought about Jesus. Like, like Naomi walked away from God. And she's getting blessed. She did what was wrong in the sight of God. Now, I'm just curious. Have, have you ever done something that you know? Like, you know for a fact. Like, there's not a doubt in your mind you shouldn't have done it. Like, you ever done something you know you should not have done? Like, hypothetically, let's say you got a text. This hypothetically could have maybe happened to me in the past several days. You get a text from somebody that you really didn't want to hear from, and they're saying something to you that you really didn't want to hear. You ever get one of those? Now, wisdom says what? Put the phone down. Put the phone, hand the phone to your wife and walk away. But most of the time, we start typing back, right? <laughs> Man, my thumbs, when I'm mad, they move at warp speed. And then I'm like, I'm not going to send it. I'm not going to send it. I'm not going to send it. But, but then <laughs> you fire off that text and you can't get it back, can you? Can you? Now, I seen this commercial on Friday when we pre-recorded this message. I had seen a commercial. You seen this commercial for the iPhone? Where the guy got the dead lizard. Anybody seen this thing? Got the dead, dead lizard. And he texts like, I killed the lizard or whatever. I've done jacked up Leo or whatever it is. And, and, and it's like this whole idea that you can get a text message back. You can unsend a text message. I was like, man, maybe I might switch to an iPhone. Like, that might be the thing that pushes me over. Then we tried it this morning in our staff meeting. And I'm like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work. And so, anyway, all of us have done things that we know we should not have done. All of us have said things that we wish we wouldn't have said. And some of them are kind of laughable, right? Like, oh man, I shouldn't have sent that text. But some of them aren't. Some of them aren't funny at all. 
For some people, there was a time in your life where you were closer to Jesus than you are right now. But like Naomi, you walked away. You went to Bethlehem. You went from Bethlehem to Moab. And once you went to Moab, you, you did stuff that, let's be honest, you used to talk about people that did that stuff. You used to look down on people who did that stuff. You used to judge people who did that stuff. But then you did that stuff. Or, or maybe you're doing that stuff. And today, because you feel like you're stuck in Moab doing stuff that you thought you would never do, you've, con- you've convinced yourself that the grace of God is for everybody else, but it isn't for you. Isn't it crazy how this story starts out with Naomi walking away from God, but by the end of the story, not only has she come back, but she's experienced more than she could ever imagine for her life? Isn't it funny that God took her sin when she married one of her sons off to Ruth and turned it into something amazing? Isn't it crazy that God took the mess that she was in, the sinful mess that she was in, and led her to redemption. Now now listen, I got to say this because somebody's going to think it and you're going to run out of here saying it. I am not saying go out and live however you want. I am not saying go out and sin so God can do amazing things with your life. Pastor Ryan saying go out and do some meth and look at porn on the internet and God will use it. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. Not at all. If you heard that, you are wrong. That is not what I said. I'm saying if you have sinned, God can still take that mess and turn it into a miracle. Because if you're looking at Naomi's life when she's in Moab with two Moabite women as her daughter-in-law, you're thinking, there's no way God can use that. There's no way God could ever use that. But all of a sudden, she gets back to this place in Bethlehem, and God's grace changes things. God's grace is absolutely amazing in her life. I told you a few weeks ago, I mentioned somebody named Tammy Truth-Teller. Remember that? People are always screaming, tell the truth. What about the truth? Confront them with the truth. You know what? Truth without grace never changed anyone. Truth without grace never changes anyone. It pushes them further away. For example, I don't know if you know this or not, but at one point in my life, I had a severe drug and alcohol problem. Like, I, I, I did. People used to yell and scream at me, stop doing drugs. Cocaine's not good for you. You need to stop. Okay. You need to quit drinking. All right, pour me another. Listen, they were right. I knew they were right. But yelling at me did not change me. Grace changed me. That's what changed me. Grace. It's kind of like the other day, Mary. Now, you're going to find this incredibly difficult to believe, but stay with me, all right? I can be kind of a smart aleck sometimes. I know that's hard to believe. When you look at me, you see the halo and doves. That's lighting effects. But I I can be kind of difficult at times. And so Mary and I are having a conversation, and it had been a long week. And she tried to talk about vacation plans. Like, we're going in March. We're going to, Chloe's playing softball in Arizona. And so she's talking about the, the trip. And, all, and like, it's in March. Like, I don't, I don't want to. And so I was a, a little bit smart-alecky with her. And so after about 10 minutes, the tension was building, and it was pretty bad. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, this is what my wife did. She looked at me, and she said, you know what, Ryan? I know you've had a difficult week, and I am so sorry. We can talk about this another time if you want. And it changed me. 
Because in that moment, she could have been like, listen, jerk, idiot. You're being completely rude right now, jackass. (laughs) And it would have been true. But it would have changed me. But when she acknowledged what was going on and showed me grace, it absolutely changed me in that moment. See, it's not people pointing their finger in your face that changes you. It's the grace of God that changes you. Grace is what changes us from who we are to who we need to be. So for those of you who feel like you've had people pointing their finger in your face over and over and over and over again, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, God's grace is true for you. You can still get to where God wants you to be. You can still experience immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. Look at Boaz. Look at Ruth. Look at Naomi. None of them are in this story if it's not for God's grace. What if church? What if church is a place full of people who all know that we need grace? What if we knew that grace wasn't just for the people who aren't here today, but what if we believed that grace is for the person we saw in the mirror this morning? No matter if we feel like Boaz, who can't catch a break, Ruth, who thought nothing good could ever happen to me, or Naomi, who walked away. God's grace is amazing. I'm telling you, when I think about that song, whenever I hear it or we sing it, how, how that, that whole idea of God saving us through grace, that God would save a wretch, a wretch like, like, like think about that. I think about it all the time. I was a wretch, a wretch. And, and, and listen, the only reason I'm not a wretch today is because of the grace of God. The only reason that nobody in this room is a wretch today is because of the grace of God. We were lost. I, I, I once was lost. Like no, no purpose, no peace, no joy, no love, no anything. Just endlessly wandering around, searching for something to satisfy me. But because of grace, I'm found. Because of his amazing grace. I was blind. In other words, I couldn't see the goodness of God. I couldn't see the things of God. I couldn't see anything about God. I I couldn't see joy. I couldn't see peace. I couldn't see hope. I couldn't see immeasurably more. I couldn't see that. But because of the grace of God, I was blind. But not because of his grace. Today, I see. See, grace changes people. Grace changes a church. Grace changes a community. Grace changes a world. And grace brings us from ruin to redemption. We pray with me. Father, I want to thank you right now for your amazing grace. And I pray for everyone in this room, God, those of us who have a hard time with it, that for those of us who believe it for other people, that we would understand and know and feel and believe that grace is for us as well. God, today is the day I pray that we would know your grace is amazing because your grace is for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing grace. Maybe you're here and maybe you feel like you've walked away like Naomi and you think you can never come back home. I want you to know that because of God's amazing grace, not only can you come back home, but you can have it way better than before. That's the story of Naomi. When the prodigal son came home, like 
Jesus didn't throw stones and judgment. He threw a party. And Jesus is waiting to throw that party for us today as we come back home. So with heads bowed and eyes closed right now, if you feel like you're the person you've walked away, you're not as close as you used to be, then maybe right now, maybe you just need to tell Jesus, Jesus, today I want to take a step back to you. Today I want to take a step back to you. Jesus, I acknowledge I'm not where I need to be. And today I want to take a step back towards you. Help me to take that step. Maybe you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to come back into your life. And you know that's the step that you need to take today. You need to do that right now. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you know you need Jesus in your life, I want you to just pray in your heart right now. Just pray this prayer. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I need you as my Savior. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose from the grave. And I know you did that for me. And so today, I ask you to come into my life, to be my Lord, to be my God, to be my King, to be my Savior. All of you for all of me, I surrender. Show me your amazing grace. Change me into who it is that you created me to be. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.